Oh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of Bottom of the Bill. We got uh, Connor Dwarshak here tonight. What's up, y'all? Thanks for being with us, man. This is going to be a cool, cool episode. Uh, cheers before we get started with anything. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers, y'all. How you like the bourbon and sweet tea? It's delicious. I just found out about it. Like I just like I ran out of mixers, and so I decided to put sweet tea in my bourbon. I was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing! This is probably the most southern thing that you can drink." Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's pretty delicious. Would we'll never guess thing. that. <laughs> it's very strange. <laughs> um, cool. Let's get into it. Uh, how'd you get started here in Jax, man? What, what, what's your what's your what's your background? Um, I grew up in Jacksonville, um, out towards the beaches. Um. As far as the music scene goes, I grew up playing in punk bands in high school and then kind of, uh, you know, transitioned to some metal bands, some pop punk bands into DJing and then into festivals and buying shows and and, uh, owning the venue now. And that's kind of here where we are. Right, right. Yeah. It's pretty quick progression over. What did you play? What did you play in punk? Um, I played play guitar yeah, and I, I sang. Yeah, I remember that mm-hmm. you, you you played guitar. We talked about that before. Yeah, yeah. I still play guitar. You do? Um, yeah, at the, at the house. It's kind of a me thing, you know. What uh, you were telling me before we got started, you you, you had some like projects lined up or you were doing before you got started, like the DJ side of things, like some uh, a metal band, like a, a rock band. Yeah, yeah. So um, I played in a bunch of bands. And then the band I was in when I was around 18 was a band called Harlow. And it's, uh, it was basically a metalcore band uh, with some lot melodic undertones. And it was a screamer. I was a singer and played guitar. And um, we did a decent amount there. Got a little record deal, a management contract, oh, did yeah. the Warped Tour circuit. Really? And whatnot. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah, that was when I was 18. So I'm um, 18 to like, go, yeah. to like 20, 21. I was in that band. And then um, after that, I joined a band. It was uh, previously called Shadow Agency in Jack's Beach. Um, but when I joined, we changed the name to Hello Danger. And I was just singing in that band. I wasn't uh, that, that name playing guitar. That very familiar. Yeah, it was, um, it was a pop. Like pop I, I want to say pop punk, but that's giving it too much punk credit. It was more of a pop rock band. Yeah. Um, with a bunch of dudes that grew up playing punk. <laughs> um, but it was, uh, it was cool. It was... Um, I viewed that as more of like a writing project and kind of like a maturity thing, you know, as being a musician. I've learned how to really write quality songs. We did um, we did some songs that were released with like Ryan Key from Yellow Card, um, some other stuff. It was, it was super fun. All, that's all available on Spotify. Harlow is a little bit harder to find. but um, You guys not on any of the streaming platforms? Uh, I think it's on Apple Music. I don't okay. have Apple Music. I know it was on iTunes. Um back in the day so i think maybe you can play it on apple music i don't know though harlow h-a-r-l-o-e e h-a-r-l-o-e okay yeah. I'll, I'll check it out after yeah I, yeah i had no idea <laughs> man yeah that was uh, that was a fun one i mean it was cool that band was cool because it was the songs we ended up putting on the albums and stuff we were writing you know during high school and, and so it was you know to look back at it now it's kind of like right when i became a serious musician it was the first tunes i ever wrote you where'd know? you go to high school uh, i went fletcher? to bishop kenny for two years and BK? fletcher for two years okay right, yeah. right okay yeah that's awesome man uh what, what did you uh anything about like the process of of like publishing the music that you learned about or stuff that i've always like that that process is can be pretty 
uh, frustrating when you're talking about like, like splitting up credits and everything like that. How did you guys, if you don't mind getting into that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, so, um, f- and that, and Hello Danger was, that second band was the first time I ever experienced anything with publishing and whatnot. You know, the f- we were kids before, we didn't really worry about it too much. Now, um, when we did publish that stuff, we, uh, we split the writing credits between myself and then um, Stephen Carey, who's now a country singer in Nashville, and then Ian Christian, who writes country music in Nashville. Nice. So they they're both now professional song published like songwriters, you know. Awesome. Um, but uh, but the three of us pretty much would get the writing credits because they would they would create, you know, the chord patterns, the melodies, and stuff, and we or we would all we would all write the lyrics and and vocals together. But um, but yeah. And um, yeah, we every all all the albums we put out with that band was all independently released. So it was kind of, it was two thousand eight and nine, I think ten maybe, which um, was a lot harder to independently release something back then. If you don't remember, I mean, it was it yeah, was of course. You know, yeah, distribution was a much different thing back yeah. then. And and you everyone was trying to get a record deal. There wasn't you know. It was Chance nice. the Rapper or anyone yeah. had blown up on SoundCloud yet. It was, right. Yeah, it was yeah. MySpace. <laughs> yeah. That's the only way that you had and we, stuff. We recorded everything ourselves, too. Yeah, of course. Um, which was my favorite part about that project was really kind of getting a grasp on the studio. Yeah. Because, you know, it wasn't affordable to do, you know, to write as much music and record as much music as we were and go to studios. So we, uh, we built a little recording studio in the garage of our house or not my house it was joe and ian's house in jack's beach and it was uh you know totally lined with foam it was you know, it was pretty sick nice. <laughs> yeah i want to have a studio so bad like i feel like let's just you got i mean you got the room right here let's yeah just, for sure let's just it, man. Like, <laughs> i got the gear you got the gear too <laughs> i got the gear all yeah right. okay well he'll be our uh engineer and uh uh then we don't have to drive all the way down to miami to record records yeah all the that'd time. be great oh, yeah. Yeah. No, i'm just kidding i mean we, we love if, our- if you guys get a small rig and just track yeah everything and make sure you get you know um make sure you're getting you know a, a beeline for your guitar just to line in right and then um you know decent drum takes yeah because you you can sound replace a lot of it anyways or you probably they probably will sound replace in the mix mix down process right and that's where we were at we weren't getting the best quality takes half the time they would take our line in guitar and process it you know, and then with a whole different guitar sound. That's that's which, my only uh, issue with with that kind of stuff in the studio is like I like to, get, to mic up the amps and get like as much of a natural sound as possible. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's a lot of stuff, and we we had Ben Strock on uh, a few weeks back, like a month ago now. Yeah, he's and, been ba- building his digital rig. Right? Oh yeah, and he's yeah, yeah. like now he kind of he swears by it now. He's been trying to convince yeah. me to get off the, the the tube amps for a long time. Because when we go to the studio, uh, his. Like you, it, like you can't really hear it because it's like you know soundproof. Like you can kind of hear him play. And then as soon as like you open the door, it's the loudest goddamn thing I've ever heard it in my is, entire life. It is, it is uh, dangerously loud. If you don't, don't have headphones in there, you do some real damage. Why that is, it's be so loud? Because you get that. You get yeah, that, the tube amp tone. works best at highest volume. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. But as someone who's been the guitar player, the engineer, um, you know, around music all the time, I'll tell you my biggest pet peeve is loud guitars. Yeah. The biggest one ever. It's the harshest 
frequencies in the room. Yeah. And the heart, you have to just keep bringing everything else up in volume. And then I, everything's loud. You know? I am. I actually agree with you 100% on that. I don't think, uh, if we're in a live scenario, mm-hmm. for sure. Right. When we're in the studio, though. Studio, it's like, turn it up and yeah. get the tube amp going. Exactly. Unless you want to use a Kemper and just. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure. I've just been direct in my whole life. And I just I just don't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. So much of a, so much of a guitar player's tone comes from the amplifier. I get it. It's really like the main thing. If if you if you like split it up in like in percentages, I would say most of your tone is coming. I'd say sixty to seventy percent of your tone is coming from the amplifier. Yeah. Uh, and then the rest of it is really like on you. It just yeah, seems yeah. like th- they they should make an amplifier where it doesn't have to be so loud. I they don't do. Know. I they don't do. Know. They do. It's called the Kemper. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So the Kemper is a profiling amp. Um, wow. Basically, what it's a it's an amp mod- modeler. Um, but it's it's like claim to fame is that you can take you can record your rig with your cab, your head, and bring it into the Kemper profiling program, and it will analyze the, how exactly how it sounds and then recreate that. And so what people do is they they profile crazy rigs and then sell the profiles so wait is it use. like a like a, a vst that you use no it's a piece of hardware there's a vst that goes along with it oh i see I um see. but it's a piece of hardware they just actually released the stage um the stage uh version which is te- which is a pedal board yeah versus they had you know an actual amplifier that fed you know fed into a cab that you could turn up volume and then they had rack mountable ones and then just now i think the end of last year put out the the stage profiler which is the full deal but in a foot pedal i have a, a line six pod 500x and it's you know it's it was it sounds great there's some great pro great profiles on that too i feel so bad i had like i knew like you like just real quickly like went over like yeah i play guitar and then that was the end of it but i had no idea because like, <laughs> yeah. most people like it's like yeah i play guitar i'm like oh, yeah, okay yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but i never saw you saw you play out anywhere and everything like that so it's really interesting i didn't know that about you yeah i mean um like after those bands and everything, I kind of took the playing music and even re- recording and all that stuff, and it's more for me now. So right, there's yeah. so much pressure back then to do, you know, with record deals and all this stuff. We were young. Yeah. We didn't take, we didn't go about it maturely either. You know, you, it was all you, or nothing. Right. You, so, yeah, you were on the Warped Tour. And yeah, like, yeah. Jesus. But that's not easy. You know? No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, no. <sure. laughs> it was, uh, you know, and so I kind of stopped playing music out and just kind of do it for myself, which honestly, like, is pretty rewarding, and you know, it takes no no stress. Either. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I work professionally in the music industry of course, all the time, yeah. so it's not like I'm out of it. No, I'm no, just, you're I just not. You're not switch the role. I just I didn't know I didn't know that about you. I the, when I met you, uh, you were DJing. Yeah, yeah. And so and then you were like, yeah, I can play guitar. And I was like, okay, cool. I was like, well, <laughs> now now next time I see you DJ, I'm like, bust out the guitar. For sure. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got actually um a sick guitar rig. F- potentially to do that with with awesome, the with the yeah. pod 500x and then i've the guitar i have is a golden guitar with a built built-in nice. midi pickup yeah those are great so um so it, it runs in the computer along with all my drum pads and everything and you know you I could virtually play any computer software instrument on the guitar with the tracking is incredible so there's barely any delay you know the same kind of delay you get just from playing into a computer it's nothing oh, yeah. nothing noticed Nothing right. that's gonna mess you oh, up. Latency, that's what latency. You mean. Sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, well, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, latency. Okay. Um, but yeah, 
Uh, it's a it's a pretty cool rig. I mean, the MIDI guitar thing is is pretty insane. How much do you play great. now? Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, I mean, I, I play a couple hours a week, maybe. Really? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's, it's it's a lot of it's just me, you know, with the computer just sitting there playing along to stuff or just like riffing the same riff for like an hour. That's awesome. You know, like I I, I I don't do solo like you know too much solos. I don't know that much in theory. Um, I've got a decent ear, but it's um it's a lot of riffs and like melodic repetitive stuff that i play you know All right. still yeah. though i had no idea yeah it's awesome man i had no idea every single time that uh lucky played and then like you opened and, and and did djing stuff and everything like that and i just had no clue yeah not at all not your background or anything <laughs> this is very informative so how did you <laughs> kind of break into the dj side of it and the promoter side of it i mean you must have kind of had to start from scratch in a sense it's a completely different scene yeah so um I did kind of step back from playing live music and doing all of that. And um, at the same time, all my friends had gone off to college. I, was, I didn't go off to college, but all my friends did. And uh, we went out, went to Tallahassee to visit some people and actually went to, um, what was it called at that point? Engine room, I engine guess. Engine room. Engine room. room yeah, sidebar. Sidebar, side yeah. yeah. I think it was like engine room then. engine room at first. We, like we had just played, Harlow just played like two years before that at engine room. And it's a funny story because we showed up to engine room and we, the, we had our booking agent had the dates wrong. And back then it wasn't like everyone had cell phone numbers or like you basically had MapQuest printed out before the tour <laughs> and didn't yeah. know where anything was in between the, vi- the venue and the next city's venue. So we pulled up and hadn't heard from anyone, you know, and they were like, you guys were supposed to be here yesterday. <laughs> we were like, what? Oh, no. Oh, no that's the <laughs> and, um, that's literally the word. I don't think there's anything. But Dragon Force was playing there. What? Oh, no shit. That day. Oh, no. And they let us open the show up. They had painted <laughs> this huge Dragon Force mural on the side of Engine Room. Wow. It was crazy. Yeah. Did you open up for Dragon Force? I did. We did. That's yeah, a, yeah. That's probably the most yeah, like metal, 15 minutes. metal fucking thing that you could say. 15 minutes set. And this was 2006 <laughs> or 2007. So it was like right before they had fucking gone Ooh, huge uh, you know mm-hmm. 15 minutes that's a uh, total metal band yeah, thing yeah. right there 15 guitar, minutes guitar hero really uh-huh. on the map. oh yeah for sure <laughs> this was i mean i remember on that same tour playing guitar hero at every house we slept on the couch at you know because it just got came out and yeah. gotten big but anyways college i my friends were in college went to tallahassee went to engine room for menace beach and met those dudes there and um and at the same time Crunchy Sunday was starting here, mm-hmm. but honestly, I didn't know what was even going on with that. I didn't yeah. know what dubstep was or anything. It was right at the same time. I had known Vlad through a mutual friend. Um, I think it was Nate Futrall, a homie, um, and I met him a couple times. But I really went to the engine room and saw uh, the dudes from Team Jaguar doing their thing at Menace Beach. Right, yeah. And uh, kind of got into the vibe, I guess. And then uh, my buddy, who we went with in Tallahassee as well, him and his... His roommate was actually a, had been DJing for a long time since he was like young. Is you know he's into house music and real stuff. Yeah. We were just into the the club crazy club electro stuff at that point. But um, he kind of taught us how to DJ, and then uh, we before we even knew how to DJ, <laughs> we booked it booked like nights and stuff in Jacksonville, and kind of you kind of like we kind of learned as we were doing it. I understand. Um, but yeah, that's interesting though. So that that was your so you had like uh, Mr. Miyagi. Guy kind of teach you how to yeah, DJ just, a little just bit. Yeah, just the basics, and like, yeah. We're just going to go for it. Right. Because <laughs> back in that, that era, it wasn't even that long ago, honestly, but like just, just that time, it was just 
uh, uh, electronic music was just like everything. Yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah. I remember that era. Yeah. yeah. The, yeah. I call it the Skrill Skrill era. Yeah, that's like Skrill is <laughs> yeah. like blowing up and dubstep mm-hmm. is really a big, big thing in 2010. Six Grammys that one year. Do you remember? Yeah, that? yeah. <laughs> he's insane. I know. He's, no, I'm not trying to. And every but he kind of came back from the same sort of background. So we, we actually we actually recorded our albums at the same studio, a week apart from each other. Well, it was uh, from first to last was his from band, first right? to last. Yeah, and, they, uh, and he was like a, the screamer uh, uh, singer, whatever. And then he's yeah. like, I'm gonna be a DJ now, and then just made all that stuff. But. Yeah, I mean his his story. I mean, his whole thing is insane. Yeah, I know. I mean, he he joined that band at the age of fourteen. No, right? It's, yeah, he's like project. He was sure. yeah. He was just he was just filling in on guitar because he was the best guitar player that could fill in when the guitar player broke their arm. Yeah. When they were on tour, they found him in L.A. They were like, "Who who can we get to fill in?" They were like, "That fourteen year old kid can." Yeah. And then eventually, you know, I think stemmed from singing harmonies in the studio. You know, just became the vocalist. Wow. Yeah, he's 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 a very good musician, uh, honestly. He re- yeah, that's he yeah. rewrote the done. whole that whole first album. In the studio while they were recording it, yeah. Like there was another vocalist and all of the vocal tracks, but then you know it, it went from there. And he, they actually released two songs like a year and a year ago, year and a half ago, in from first to last songs, new ones with really? Sonny as the vocalist, and they're pretty, really? they're pretty amazing. They're yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, and they're sick. Like the, he's like half deaf, isn't he too? And he's colorblind or something like that. Or you, or I don't you can't know about all that. I have, uh, there's lots of there's lots of stories about that guy. It's just, yeah, because I knew about him. Uh, because uh, I was dating a girl who was all into the uh, uh, the screamo, mm-hmm. punk, pop punk, whatever you want to call it, and then it was first just, to last was sick. When but it came her out. favorite band was first from first to last. Yeah. And she was like in love with Sonny Moore, and then it was just like oh, and then the, he just became <laughs> yeah. like just immediately overnight. The, the first time so I wild. saw them, it was it was crazy because he's the same age as me. And I was in high school, so I was like a freshman or sophomore, freshman I guess, and um, he he was up on stage at Jackrabbits. And super nervous and shit, and like sa- came out and sang the Little Mermaid to a stuffed Sebastian doll to open the show. <laughs> and I mean, he's full on like f- white face makeup, <laughs> like he's pretty small and stuff. It was it no, was it was a weird scene, a weird thing to see. Yeah. And um, it was crazy because I was 14 as well at the time, and I was like, oh shit. And then heard him, I was like, oh, this dude is is pretty crazy. Yeah. Who knew? He was gonna be, you know, writing Justin Bieber albums and that's stuff. The, that's the, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's probably the weirdest transition for a musician. It's just like, just oh yeah, I was just uh, singing in this, but you know, rock, not rock, but like screamo punk band or whatever. I don't know what you want to call it. And then yeah. it just became like the hugest overnight. I, th- sensation. I think maybe it took someone from that scene to, because I kind of had, I mean, in my experience, coming from like heavy rock and like specifically that kind of music and just completely switching it i had a different like perspective on it than a lot of older like deep people have been djing and producing electronic music for a long time i was trying to do something that kind of tied that in i feel like he did too yeah um there was a a ton of you know crazy melodies and complex rhythms stuff stuff yeah that um that a dj's mind wouldn't think of exactly you know it's it's more about a consistent beat and i mean and the melodies on that the, the first Skrillex stuff was yeah. was what really caught your eye. It was, you know, it was crazy. That's what I think Skrillex kind of influenced every drummer to start a dubstep side project. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. Yeah, I was playing. I was playing with a with the drummer at the time, and uh, he was more of like a prog guy. And yeah. uh, I mean, phenomenal drummer, and and still a good friend of mine to this day. But uh, 
I remember he just like invested. He, like, he started hanging out. This is like down in South Florida. He started hanging out with this crew of like DJs. They were all like just getting into dubstep. And so he like bought like, like a controller and started doing like the whole thing and like yeah, yeah. start producing some actually pretty good dubstep tracks. I was like, he just, he got it right away. He's like rhythmically, okay. it made sense. He also had a really strong uh, background in theory. He, like he went to school and like studied harmony and all that stuff. Nice. So like he just, he had a great ear and was like really producing some great tracks. And I was like, yeah, maybe you should kind of stick with this and see where this goes. He never did anything with it, but it's just. Yeah, it's, um. It's interesting you said, you know, about, talked about his ear and his background in theory and rhythm because with electronic music, especially programming it, all that stuff helps a lot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not like sitting in a room with a band and just kind of feeling out the notes, which is how I had done it the whole time, you know? Right. I, I had a decent ear. I, you know, I, could, I sang in choir, which so I knew what worked and what didn't. But, um, but as far as theory, I didn't know much until I really got behind a computer and was looking at it on a grid. Right. He's like, oh shit. So that, you know, this is how a rhythm looks when you chop it up into actual beats. Because right. I never read music, especially, you know, drum stuff. Yeah. You know. I was always, uh, since like, I think like fifth or sixth grade, I was doing uh, Fruity Loops. And like the, the like, <laughs> like so Fruity Loops 3 or whatever. Inter- like. Interesting enough, my first class ever at a public school, I went to Catholic school my whole life and then transferred to Fletcher in my junior year I signed up for an elective called electronic music there's an, there was an electronic music there was and get alright wow. so get this not only that but the teacher was a saxophone player from Less Than Jake really? yes wow. that's interesting it was insane that's I showed up to public school first time not wearing uniform went to my first class and he's like hey my name is Doug Carroll I play saxophone in Less Than Jake and I'm gonna teach you electronic music and I was yeah. like <laughs> and that was with free lips so, wow. but I was like dude public school is crazy <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Why are we paying to go to Catholic <laughs> yeah, school? What? Yeah. I, I went to Providence, mm-hmm. the, the really very Christian school. Uh, and then uh, my friends, I, I, I went to Beach United Methodist Church, and so all my friends went to Fletcher, and I, I, they just snuck me into Fletcher for a day. They just didn't, really? they didn't yeah. care. No, no, no. I, was sitting, I was just sitting in classes all day, and they were just like, oh, whatever. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't even know skipping school was really a possible yeah, me either. until I went to Fletcher. <laughs> and then... I mean, I definitely didn't consider skipping school and still maintaining, you know, all A's was possible. Yeah. But it, w- it was possible. It was possible. Well, public yeah. school is a complete joke. It's, yeah. it's an I mean, absolute joke. What Fletcher is? Public, I don't know about Fletcher. I'm oh. saying public school in general. Well, it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, there's it was just different, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, if no, they weren't really watching to make sure you were they weren't. learning. That's how every public school <laughs> yeah. is. They, they, yeah. they just, it's literally like... Um, this job sucks. I get paid nothing. I really don't care. I'm just gonna do the bare minimum and just and you ki- you kids just get home alive. We're good, right? You know, <laughs> it was just so wild. Yeah. I was just sitting in a class at a high school. I, I was in high school too. I didn't like sneak in like when I was like older. That'd be weird. Mm-hmm. I would think it was like senior year or whatever. And they were just like they they realized that I was not part of this class. And we're like, all right, whatever. Yeah, I did it like three times. Uh-huh. <laughs> they just left. Just walked in and left. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um. I d- uh, sorry, were you going to say something? No, no, no. Uh, I did want to ask you kind of, at some point, you started kind of taking on more of like a promoter role. Did one kind of feed the other or wh- what, did, what well, were you doing first, really? So so the promoter thing kind of started with the band Hello Danger. Like I mentioned, we recorded all of our own stuff. Right. And um, really, you know, I have to give credit to Joe Van Dyke, who was, um, he was about, I mean, I think 
he was like eight or nine years older than me. And I, I had been seeing him play in bands in Jack's Beach since I was literally first going to shows. So he had a lot more, he had a lot of experience and like, so he had experience with promoting shows. So we, we booked all of our own shows, promoted all of our own shows. Um, he booked all of the tours and kind of just following him. I got a sense of how it worked. Then going into the DJ thing in order to get, you know, to DJ places, we, instead of, you know, asking other promoters and clubs, whether it was a DJ spot, we just booked a whole night and started promoting a party and then eventually did that a lot, <laughs> you know, promoted a, a ton of parties. So and, is that um, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And then from that, you know, with both of those experiences kind of combined, started booking actual concerts. Okay. It weren't parties, it weren't my own band's concerts, but, um, but it kind of all just fell into place. And I, and it was, uh, we had, I mean, I had the actual experience you know, from the party promotion and booking my band, I knew both sides of it, which is kind of, you know, I think why I've been able to do all the roles is because once you understand, you do want to understand why that, why, why things happen a certain way and you move to the next role, you kind of get a bigger understanding of the full picture. Yeah, so I don't know if I would have been promoting or buying shows had I not played in the band or DJed. It is interesting when you meet a promoter. It's like, do you play anything? They're like, nah. No, yeah. I just, <laughs> I just decided one day I was gonna try and promote concerts. Yeah. Promoter, yeah, yeah. That's, I think. Those that's are the best promoters and best venue owners are the ones that are actually musicians who are actually like, you know, did it before. They have yeah. actually played shows oh, and been yeah. on the other end of it. I think and, and know what it's like to be like, hey, like I'm, we've been on the road for like three days. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Do you think so? Do you think that I mean, obviously, uh, being a musician and a promoter. Um, makes you a lot better at doing both things yeah definitely right? i mean like you just yeah. like there's certain things you're aware of as a musician that maybe you're not going to be fully aware of as a promoter and there's definitely a ton of things as a promoter or as a musician you're not going to be aware of as a promoter right right you know like, and th- that's just a whole other side of the industry what uh uh what do you think has allowed you to kind of be successful in that realm really i think it's what do you investing your money that you made like like being smart with things like like being a promoter and just kind of like taking the right steps to set yourself up for the future you know yeah so the best things i did which is kind of how i became a promoter in the first place is learning to do all the things yourself right you know um learning to to do all of the booking all of the graphics graphics all of the merchandise you know everything and it takes a while to figure it all out but um but had i not done that first i would be lacking a ton of skills that i have now and second i would have paid a lot of money and then maybe not had been successful at it you know and um and luckily in when i was promoting parties and and shows and stuff we, we did them in a weekly and monthly format all of them were repeating events so i got a lot of practice in every aspect of it so advancing with the bands doing the graphics creating the events you know put printing the flyers putting them up you know all the stuff that you have to do you know some people do a show every once a month but you know on an average month when i was doing a lot of shows i would have i mean uh three to four a week how do yeah, you right. do yeah. that <laughs> for, how do you promote uh, that many shows in a week um well a lot of them were parties, so reoccurring parties. So okay. it was about just maintaining that. So we had um, one to two electronic nights on the weekends at different clubs. 
one one consistently at TSI every Saturday, and then I helped out with Sundays with uh, with Vlad, and then uh, we had beach rang at the beach, and so um, those were easy and hard because the easy thing was you didn't have to start fresh every time. You right. Could, once you got it going, there was a momentum, and people just showed up to show up as long as you kept, you know, the booking creditable and the vibes good, you could maintain that for an extent for a certain period of time eventually you know all things pass but, but uh right. it was like yeah it's tuesday we're going to beach right yeah playing this night and now you know i was i mean i was a decent amount younger but now i can't imagine doing packing up the pa building it in a place it's not a, a concert venue every day no. you know and being there till two or three in the morning and driving home and do, i mean now with the venue yeah, <laughs> it's I mean, it's a luxury I never had before was just to have it set up. I walk in and just turn the switches on and it's ready to go, which yeah. was never the case. It was Sorry. always a full trailer, full load in, load out every event. You know, well, that's a that's <laughs> that's a, a, I think a grind that most I think I mean, all of us when we're younger, we're doing all kinds of stuff that as we get older, we're like, I can't believe like, I would just not do that anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's just like there's a, a level of hustle that you have to have when you're first getting started to kind of separate yourself because most people out there, whether you're a musician, a promoter or a DJ or whatever it might be, like most people out there aren't like, they're not going to try that hard. So if, if you yeah, try that's, really that's hard, true. yeah, I, I always say that the majority of people won't do anything. Exactly. You know? So you have to try really hard to separate yourself from the ones that are trying a little bit. And also just to make it look like it's, it, it, it proves it, it's a valuable trait to have being a hard worker, you know, just doing things to set yourself up for the future. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. It must've been so difficult. Uh, like just, just be trained on its own, like, uh, having, okay. What, what do we have next week? What do we have next week and everything? Like yeah. That. So yeah. what was that process? Like, how'd you come up with that idea? And, and so, so beach ring was, um, so we had our Saturday night at TSI called Bangarang, and, um, it was, absolutely nuts i mean it was like 500 people at 300 person capacity space every week <laughs> for years every saturday and um so i'd gotten the system kind of down for the format of the reoccurring events but was less and less into the kind of electronic music that you need to fuel a club night like that and um was more into like experimental electronic and you know kind of experimental live music and um, that was kind of where the idea stemmed to take the same format and um, implement it with just a whole different, with just a different genre of music. You know, the same reoccurring club format promoted the same way. Um, but instead of DJs where you switch them out each week, we're going to switch out a opening DJ, which was going to be experimental electronic and then a live band, which was, which, you know, a lot of the time it did have electronic music, involved you know live tronica or jam tronica sometimes it was just a straight live band but um we were surprised i mean I, I was surprised to to kind of see that it worked that promoting you know weekly band night with it still had a, a you know a graphic theme and a vibe and stuff which was important because otherwise it would just look like a bunch of random shows right right it wasn't so you no, thought was, about the yeah. artwork and you thought about the the idea you were trying to represent and like and this is an event. Is it like this is an event, and this is like our event here. It's not like, hey, this band's gonna play here. It's like, this is the, yeah, this right. is the day. Yeah, this is this is the night featuring yeah. this band. Exactly. That's mm -hmm. interesting how you, and you and you kept the artwork consistent 
Yeah, yeah. For the most, you know, all the flyers had a consist like whether we would switch out the background image, but it would it would be set up and formatted the same way. Okay. So it seemed like the same thing. We didn't try and you know create uh, make it look like a bunch of different shows. Right. We wanted it to to be some uh, you know people show up for the party because the party happens to have dope music. But it doesn't matter who's playing; they're still going to show up. Right. It's kind of you're building a, you know, a, a quality assurance with the brand and the nights. I was just about to say so that. So people yeah. show up regardless. There were some nights we didn't, you know, didn't have a good band. It was just you know a trade on a tour or something. And, right. And uh, but people still showed up and they supported and stuff. You know, the majority of music was really sick though. Do you, you think know? that that played? Do you think that the, that 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 kind of marketing the the way that you you paid attention to to your party being the, like the brand, do you think that played a role in the amount of people that came and why it was so successful? Yeah, I think so. I think, I don't think people are trying to think about things that much. Right. I think, um, you know, to, and especially in the day of, you know, as that was happening, social media was ramping up at a crazy rate. Right. And so people are just getting stuff. And now it's, you know, it's, it's insane. It's now. insane. So you're, people are seeing things constantly, different things all day long. To where I think, you know, people start to notice something consistent. Right. And so I think that helped with why that event was so successful. It was at the same place. Or no, it wasn't at the same place. Well, <laughs> it was in the at the it beach. The same time. It was at the same time, same day, <laughs> every week for five years. Okay. So you yeah. could come out and, and do it. Now, we went through, like, uh, I mean, the venues. The beach is weird. You guys know that. Oh, I know. So, uh, it was all on the same street, if you think about it. Yeah, that. it was. It was all on the beach. It was all on yeah, the yeah. same street. I remember. But yeah. a venue would... You know, so a owner or manager would come in and decide, oh, we don't want to do this. And then, you know, two weeks later, they realized, like, well, what happened to the sales? Like, yeah, and we would just move it down the street to the next venue. Because we had the, you know, we had the rap sheet of this, how much the bars are selling and alcohol. This, how many people show up. It's run successfully were without you guys problems. Keep, you, guys you, know? keep, you guys were keeping track of those numbers? Yeah, yeah, for sure. We would get a report every week. That's phenomenal. The ones that would give it to us. Some people wouldn't give it to us. Right. We happens. would definitely keep track of the door. Um, and it was free to get in, too. That was something that helped as well. Yeah, I remember. But, um, How'd you guys keep track of the door if it was free to get in? Um, because we gave out wristbands. Okay. We, uh, we checked. Sometimes it was 18 and up, so we had a wristband for underage. Okay. Because they were 21 and up places. Right. Um. But yeah, we would um we would keep track of how many people came in, and um, and it was a lot of uh, back then. I mean, it, online you had to you would click going, and you were actually going. It wasn't interested, and I mean it was it was right. just a little different. Yeah, there were no maybes. Yeah, yeah, could, it wasn't I, no maybes. That was it. That was the difference. I yeah. never understood like, why would you click? Why would you put an interested button on there? It does nothing. Yeah, I, well, I guess it 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 uh, you know like notifies you when information to the event is happening oh true changes so it's like and, and keeps reminding you that the event comes up it pops up i think it pops up on your it dings an hour before i think yeah, yeah, yeah like remind yeah. me about this later yeah or whatever, i guess i don't know yeah yeah i think mark zuckerberg just hates musicians but yeah <laughs> yeah i mean dude we cheated the, the the system before you did oh yeah i mean because you could change the date of the event an hour before it ended to the next week <laughs> so our events online I mean our events online got up to like 5,000 people going oh, because yeah, just, oh I see you know on, yeah. and, but it was we didn't use it as an actual event we used it more as like a 
a group because yeah, groups we didn't exist then really we were just so it was more like that. a group yeah yeah exactly yeah before then it was just like hey th- just be part of this group and this is our uh not just an event and everything like that but it's a community yeah. and everything so i mean it got and it got a lot harder to promote as social media started tightening down on all this stuff yeah. so there used to be tons of stuff you could do to get around like like cheat the system you know <laughs> and get and get people to to see your stuff yeah now you you have to pay to get people to see your stuff on social media yeah it's really terrible I look at Facebook posts that we make on the the band page we get much more play on Instagram but on on Facebook it's like I make a post and it's just like it's just ghost town it's like nothing I'm I'm telling Mark Zuckerberg hates musicians. Yeah. Well, they, 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 yeah. they just want you to pay Alien for the content. Well, they want you to pay for the visibility. It, it, yeah. He's, there's something. If, he, yeah. if he's not, Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's for sure a reptilian. Yeah. I mean, um, it, it, it works when you pay. And right. a lot of the time, I feel like it was worth it. Because, like, for instance, our email, our, our email night events that we do now yeah. or did until – you know, everything stopped. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. But, uh, say, you can say now. Until the world ended. Yeah, until the world <laughs> fucking stopped. But, yeah, it's, it was, it was, it was yeah. take, not even just taking off. Like, it was, like, overnight success. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so, so, sad songs, for those who don't know, if you want to give them some okay, background. Okay, yeah. So, um, since we just went over the background of me playing in yeah. bands. Yeah. Uh, pop rock bands and metal metalcore bands and, I mean... We didn't call it emo when I played in the bands, but we definitely listened to a bunch of emo. Um, and then DJing, after that, it it kind of happened. It was a natural thing for myself to do once I saw someone else doing it. <laughs> if that makes sense. Okay. I, was so, I was like... No, no. So, I, so Emo Night LA, my okay. buddy Preston, yeah. who's in Sad Songs with me, yeah. he lived in LA, and we would talk about his buddies who had this party out in LA and it was crazy. And it was just called emo night. Yeah. And I was like, so what? So do they, I was like, what, what happens? Right. Like, they just play emo music and people freak out. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then, and as a DJ and someone who'd been in that, I was like, well, this is, I have to do this. You know? <laughs> yeah, you were already and so it I did then. it. And coincidentally enough, Preston moved back to Jacksonville about, I was about six months into it. He moved back to Jacksonville and then we added, our buddy Jordan and it evolved into something, you know, kind of way different than the other emo nights. Cause the other emo nights are literally a guest feature from a singer of an emo band yeah, that makes sense. playing a playlist on their iPhone, Oh, okay. you know, and everyone, and then, and it's like a celebrity appearance. Yeah. yeah. It's like Paris but we Hilton took coming it, to, you yeah, know, yeah. So what was the name of that awful bar we, on Merrill <laughs> road or university Boulevard? Plush. Plush. Thank you. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So she never showed up. <laughs> wow. We approached it a little differently because we all played in bands and I haven't been DJing for the, like the last six years and had a ton of gear. So um, we, we, we uh, set it up to where we were playing live digital drums, DJing, and singing the whole time. Really? So all three of us sing and... Um, you know, over top of the songs. We are DJing the original songs. Sometimes we have edits and remixes we made. Sure. But um, we're DJing the original emo songs, but we've got someone playing, you know, con- contemporary sound drums, you know, on a drum pad, like cool. a beat pad underneath it, and then we're singing on top of it. And um, we kind of, we, we run it with like live Travis Scott auto-tune, like okay. make, it, make it theatrical, you know, like it's, it's sick. Wow. But um, 
That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, what I was the reason I brought it up is because that's where I've seen the most success in advertisement, is because I was able to, for the first time, really target the ads to stuff I knew about. I was able to pick out specific record labels and bands and magazines and groups and all this stuff that I knew kids that liked emo music were into because I all I was also super into it yeah and so I approached the ads with that and I mean I sat there and targeted it for like four hours until you know joggling the wheel between too specific too broad you know whatever and just keep adding stuff and putting a decent amount of money behind ads with that kind of targeting and having a, something your product be you know very super polished as well like we, we, I made a video for the ad. I remember, stuff, yeah, you know? it looks great. And um, that was the first time I really saw success in advertisement on Facebook. Other other times we would put you know fifty dollars behind an event, and it would get fifty people to click attending, and it, it was you had to do it in order for it to get off the ground. Right. Wasn't really stoked about it, but with the emo night thing, and using targets correctly, and it might just be something. It's something I I know a lot about and was passionate about, and I was exactly. able to actually target it. I feel like. I, I'm less apprehensive on spending money on advertisement now that I've actually had some bit of success with it. Cause that's, I mean, we, we did, we do emo night, the sad songs events. So each night is called like in Jacksonville, it's called Duval is for lovers. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. And it's based off of the Hawthorne Heights, Heights song, yes, Ohio is for lovers. So each city <laughs> we go to is, is for lovers. So yeah. it's yeah, like, it's Savannah and Gainesville yeah, and all Savannah that. and Gainesville and St. Augustine, but we weren't on the ground to promote and we didn't know anyone in these cities. So specifically use advertising on Facebook and Instagram to show up to the city for the first time and do the event and have it sell out. Damn, but man. just from spending money on advertising, which it can work if you're frustrated on <laughs> Facebook <laughs> advertising, it can work. Totally can. Yeah. But, um, but back then it was way easier when, you didn't have to do it. But you know, also, you, like with yeah, featuring, with, yeah, yeah, with featuring. Yeah, right. But also, I think that having like a good video, you know, making content it look, yeah, anything. content, like the money, obviously, the money doesn't go very far if you don't have the good content in front of it. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like, like we, we put money into Facebook, at, uh, into Facebook ads with, like for events and like it doesn't really do anything but we've had we, we put stuff out there with like good videos and and, and with and good music and stuff and you put you know 50 bucks or 100 bucks into it and that goes a lot further just because the content is much more appealing you know yeah for sure it's it's still got to be average you know think like an advertiser while you're doing it right um, yeah i mean the better the content the more reactions you're going to have in general um and i've, I've seen you uh you've been getting better at creating content and stuff. I remember, you know, when you first started, I mean, I, I create a lot of content, so I notice all of it. Yeah. And so when someone, when someone actually starts doing something, you know, that's quality, you notice, cause the majority of people just put out shit as far as content, you right. know? Yeah, for sure. And so I noticed your content, you know, over the course of like the last year and a half, just get better and better. Was it like, was it like video content? Um, just in general, graphics to promote, uh -huh. um, video, okay. everything. Yeah. 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 That's me as a video. Well, he does the huh? editing. Yeah. You do the video? I do the video. Yeah. Okay. Video yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But I, so mean, I mean, you guys teaming up probably helps. You yeah, know? we're a good team. We're definitely yeah. a team. We're a couple for sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, we don't agree on hardly anything, but at nothing. least. Uh, <laughs> and he fights me tooth and nail on all my great content ideas. And, right. then we, and then we do them and they actually work. Yeah. Nice. So, so do mine. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, so do mine. So. Fuck off. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, I, I think that it's really important to kind of like... When, when when you're working in the in these smaller scenes like uh, with cities that just aren't like major industry cities like New York or LA, I think it's re- very important to look at what's actually happening there and be mm-hmm. like, okay, so what are they doing, and then you just do that, or what yeah. aren't they doing, and then you just don't do that. Or do you it know? better. Right. Not, right. It sounds like that's what you did. Like you, with, with having like uh, instead of just having a guest on, it's like you make oh it a yeah, whole yeah. like performance and everything with sad songs. Mm-hmm. I still haven't been. I, I kind of want to come see it now because what I thought it was is just like it was just like, hey, we're gonna play this playlist, but it's not. No, that. it's it's a whole thing. Oh, yeah, okay. it's um, it's uh. Definitely want to come see it. Though. Yeah, I mean, when we get done, we feel like we just played a four hour, four and a half hour set with a band. Jeez, we're singing. Awesome. You know, we. I mean, go through about seventy songs in one night and sing all of them. I always see like uh, y'all holding up the uh, uh, mic microphone yeah, stand yeah. and like putting it out in the crowd and everything, mm-hmm. and that's pretty badass. Yeah, and and that's dope. luckily, f- like with our vocal setup, like I said I run it with hard Travis Scott auto tune, and so when you <laughs> give the mic to the crowd, the worse they sing, the the, the tighter it sounds. Oh, you know, that's <laughs> so, that's like you don't notice it on ours that much because it's just pitch correcting yeah. in a loud environment. You know, right, right. Yeah. But when you when you put it out in the crowd and someone's just ah! That's yeah. like it sounds like Travis Scott on it. That's you know? hilarious. That's literally like a, a, a music Instagram filter. Yeah, <laughs> that's, like. that's so funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's pretty tight. Yeah, I, well, I definitely want to come see it for sure. I don't know when you're gonna have it again, but I think that it's it's incredible that it it, it took started here, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have just been taking. Oh, where's the farthest you've taken it? Um, or we've only, we've only stayed within like within you know just around this region. So we've done Savannah. Orlando, Orlando, Gainesville, um, St. Augustine, Tallahassee, right? No, not Tallahassee. No. We had something set up, and um, it didn't work out. We Maybe. were planning on doing a lot more. Yeah, of course. Um, we did Halloween. Really? Um, you did that sounds like Halloween. Yeah, we did Halloween is for lovers two years in a row. No, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah, it's interesting out there at Swanee. Did, um, did that did that turn out well or? Yeah, did... yeah. We had a, a couple hundred people there. Oh no shit. Yeah, well, we did we did Silent Disco the first time we did it, and that was weird. It's... Because we're singing. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. And that's the only thing anyone hears is us singing. And like I said, that auto tune stuff's not on there. <laughs> and we're, yeah. we're you know, so uh, so it's and it's yeah, it's, it's three in the morning and. Uh, you know, it's um, you walk up and all you hear is just three dudes just yelling, it's screaming weird. over the top of no tracks and no Jesus PA. Christ. It's weird that uh, that there's still fans for that. It's uh, it it's not the like crossover is there. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not yeah. even that. It's more of just like um, it didn't happen that long ago. But it's like yeah. there's just this nostalgic factor to it. But it's like, how can you be nostalgic about something that happened, like, I guess 10 Well, years it happened ago? half these people, half a lifetime ago for these people. I guess so. You know? Yeah. It's all about perspective. You know, it's not, it's not. Because I know. just remember growing up in high school, that was everything. Yeah. And, and I, then, and I then, think, I think the, I don't know. It the timing of off. when people listen to it plays a big role in it. Yeah. So, um, so when you were so a kid, you were a kid, yeah. you, were, you were just picking out the first music by yourself. Yeah. You know, you'd listen to stuff your parents put on the radio or like kids stuff or, you know, stuff the radio was kind of feeding you, but then 
when people took that emo route in high school, they started to really dig in and it is true. And they and they were they were feeling vulnerable for the first time because they were a lot of y'all are a teenager and ang- angst, you know. <laughs> and so I think they they really, you know, the ties they that made the music no, yeah. are gonna last for a long time. Yeah, yeah it's like so um so it's actually nostalgic. It's not just like, oh yeah, I used to listen to that. It's like oh shit that helped me get through a period the hardest yeah. period of my life until i was an adult yeah know? it brings it back all true. these crazy memories and like, I, but it's it, but it's very unique is what i'm trying to say like mm-hmm. I, there's not really anything like that i it would be this almost the same concept of being like hey we're having a disco night here and yeah, then all like the an 80s night or, or something or, like that but it's yeah. like it's not as intense like at all no it's um i'm sorry it is more intense like yeah, like well, the, yeah. The, your the sad song yeah says. yeah the emo nights are more intense I think it's the relationship people have with this music. Yeah, it's really, it's it's and um, and you know, it's uh, yeah, it's hard to explain. Really, it's also a very unique genre. I think just mm-hmm. in in the way that it sounds and the way that uh that uh you know the like like what they actually talk about a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. So I think, and again, the fact that people, it's what they were going through at that time, like early breakups and, and whatever it might've been. It's just that, that time when you're like Being in middle school dude. and yeah, kind of feeling it for the first time. Yeah. It's it, everything you know, you is your heartbroken for the first time. Yeah. Everything is, and that music was how you kind of dealt with, dealt with, it. with it. And yeah. it brings, it just brings all that back, back to you, which is mm-hmm. like, couldn't seem weird, but if you look at it in the sense where it's like, it just kind of brings you back to like a no, simpler your, time. That was your escape, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So but I, get I, I, I understand completely, but I'm not going to let it go unnoticed that it's extremely unique and right, right. very different than any sort of like mm-hmm. throwback night. Yeah, yeah and especially, especially because is, how it's, not. it's not like there's new, how new stuff that you're playing. Everyone you know? is. Um, yeah. So we have we have some merch we put out. Um, it says I'm happy when I'm sad. And it's kind of a, it's a weird, it's a weird, and and our whole thing is it's sad songs. Everything is, you know, has, has that theme. Yeah. And rightfully so because of the music, but also you know we kind of follow like a sad boy, like stylistic thing, and and it works sad out. Boy. But um, but it's true, because like, these songs and the relationship people had with these songs, is actually sad. But the night is crazier than. You know, the the biggest party. You Your know, because rave or anything the, yeah, like that, and yeah. everyone is just s- smiles are huge. People are yeah crying out of happiness. You crazy. know, it's crazy. It's it um like going to church or something. Yeah, That's it's it it's a release, like. I think. And, <laughs> and a lot of a lot of the people that attend are far out of that phase. You yeah, know? Well, yeah, of course. And they they've they've gone on with their normal life, and maybe they don't get a chance to feel vulnerable or like they used to and totally. that rush of you know would you, the, the would nostal- you nostalgicness uh sorry would you say that, that the, like the the age group there is like people about our age that yeah. like grew up in high it's not like and younger it's crowd, some younger like, too really? which is surprising like yeah. there's a we had to we eventually cut it off from being 18 and up unfortunately because it was so busy and there was no way to to really monitor who was drinking and who yeah. wasn't well that's the case but um it was surprising to me that there's anyone under 21 showing up that's, that's what i meant um I, and I guess you know, and they know all of the same songs, so it's like they revisited it almost 
like we listened yeah. to like Nirvana in the nineties. Yeah. You know, is like that we, what it is? That's what our you know how we say. listen to grunge exactly, and it was like kind of old. This is this is These your people, smashing pumpkins. Like yeah, really? yeah, yeah. I guess so. I mean, that's the only way Fall I can think of it. Your smashing pumpkins. Sorry, yeah. I'm not gonna hate on any band, but I'm just trying to say, like, really? Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's just that's what it was from that generation, okay, man. You know, right. I mean, think think about people that were that were coming up. You know, like like when we were growing up, adults thinking how, you know, like Nirvana is like the new like Led Zeppelin or something. Yeah, it's Nirvana just like, was the best when I was yeah. I was yeah, it's just like, and they're just like, are you are you fucking serious? Yeah, bro, I guess so. You know, and I'm not I love Nirvana and everything. I'm just saying, you yeah, know, I mean, oh boys. Now, that's what now that conversation kind of holds up, man. I mean, Nirvana and Led Zeppelin, not as musicians, but as far as impact, impact, totally. Song. Yeah. I mean, Nirvana wrote. I mean, those songs were incredibly written. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like they could have all been huge hits in any genre of music. Yeah. It just happened to be the way they performed it sounded that way. Right. But the, but the composition of it, um, you know, melody and chord bass, but it, especially lyrically and everything, it was, it was pretty incredible songwriting. But it's still, it's not like you're going to have like a nineties grunge night and then all like, do you think like the no. Gen X's are going to show no. up like that? No, they're all, yeah. Gen Xers are also older and uh, and might be in a different that's spot than we are. That's what she, that's what you yeah, you it's, it's almost like a perfect it. storm. It's yeah, like, you got it, it, bud. And and here's the other thing that really helped the success of it, I think, is so all these the people that show up weren't weren't the same people. Or a lot of them weren't the same people that got into going to clubs and raves and music festivals. Yeah. So they hadn't they hadn't experienced what it felt like to be that stoked in that kind of environment. Right. But um when they show up to emo night or Duval is for lovers or Spanner is for lovers. It is set up that way. It's yeah. set up like a club night, but it's, you know, a lot of those people couldn't tolerate the music before, so they didn't go. Yeah. And now they're able to, to participate in the same way, but just with music that they actually like. Right. It's, um, I think it's an awesome concept. Yeah, it's, like, uh, congrats to you for, uh, even, even though you kind of copycat it, but it then made it your own. Yeah. Well, like, that's it's a great, I that's mean, a great fucking, uh, emo nights popped up. In every city across the United States. After you did? Well, around a little bit after we did. We were a little early on it, but um, but around the same time, like you know, it's a trendsetter. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, Emo Night LA and Emo Night Emo Night LA was first, and there was an Emo Night Brooklyn. Yeah, and they both kind of blew up. Yeah, and um, it's typically and how then, it works. Yeah, yeah. Rest of the country follows suits. Uh, follow mm-hmm. suit. You well, know. Still, I, I like I like that yours is more uh, uh, the live performance. Uh, yeah, what was it is live organic performance is what I was trying mm-hmm. to say. Like with with actually like singing and yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, instrumentation. Yeah, and totally. All mm-hmm. of those things. Totally. Yeah, it's uh, definitely fun. What uh so so after all this stuff, obviously, like you've just uh, within the last year invested into a a, 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 a music venue. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that just yeah. happened. It was kind of the worst timing. Ever. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and that was um, it's all kind of been like a natural progression. I know we've kind of talked about how the different little eras tie each other together and how it all worked out. Right. And you know, through working so many nights, doing concerts and parties, and I mean, virtually my whole life I've been working inside of music ven- venues whole time. So I know I know the operational side of it. Um, and an opportunity arose to uh, to kind of come in to what was uh, at that point in time Nighthawks, um, and it seemed like the right step, I guess. So um, to backtrack for a second, uh, kind of revisiting the question uh, of why it's important for promoters and artists in general 
to not uh, to, to, to reinvest into their business and to uh, set themselves up for success rather mm-hmm. than just taking everything, everything that they're earning um, and just you know putting it in the bank and calling it a day. So th- th- would you think would you say that that some of that mindset is what allowed you to, to set up to, to invest in the Nighthawks? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I'm bad about it because I'm like a gearhead and right. I like I like stuff. Like that's something that's my favorite stuff to buy is stuff that pertains to what I do. Sure. Cause I happen to do something I really like, you know, that's kind of like like investing. Yeah. But a lot of people, you know, they might work at a bank and then like buying baseball cards, but it has nothing to do with each other. Right. (laughs) Luckily what I like to do has to do with what I'm in business with. So, so yeah, I mean a lot of it has been reinvesting in gear and then time as well, you know, like with learning how to do the graphics, learning, how, I mean, I do a lot of work with festivals as well. Um, so uh, just kind of learning the whole, you know, every p- piece of the puzzle, either, you know, doing it for a while or just truly understanding how it works. Um, reinvesting your time doing that is really the most important thing. Right. You know, you can take the money, you know, you made from your gigs and buy new gear, which is always going to work for you it's gonna it's gonna help hopefully yeah. um and and so a concept that I've, i kind of like use a lot and it has to do with that somewhat is um you know the more you can like deductively expand your whole project so if you can get bigger gigs because you got nicer gear so a lot of my time was throwing up a pa so the better the pa the nice the bigger gigs i could get right. i could stop doing the four gigs a week for the hundred bucks I was making and then just do one gig for a thousand dollars. Right. You know, and you bought yourself a lot more time and more money. Right. And I, I call it deductive expansion because you, you slow yourself down and take less, but up the quality to where you're getting paid more each time. Right. And then eventually you have four of those a week again, cause you're used to working at that pace and then you just keep doing it. You keep, you know, but also making sure that with that downtime now, since you have one gig a week versus four, that you're using that time you're appropriately. Time. Yeah, you're to, not just sitting on your ass. Exactly, you're using that time to to get the you know the next four weeks set up with the same you know big gig, and then also filling in more, and eventually right. you know, Can't I would say it's hustling. it's not as much of investing your money as it is investing you know all your spare time. Right. And if, you know, if you say if you take a break. You, you know, it's it's not going to work out for you. But if you keep thinking about everything, you know, it kind of flows. And that's why I said it was kind of a natural progression for the venue. And it, you know, happened to pop up that it was possible. I was like, oh, yeah, we could do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was something I was I was interested in because it seems like on the surface anyways, you always hear about uh, bands, uh Especially with the, there's a dynamic with when you're, when you're in a cover band versus like an original band and why a lot of cover bands don't pursue original projects because there's no money in it seemingly. And the, the, the mindset of, well, we deserve to get paid for our services and blah, 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 blah. So uh, oftentimes it can seem like if, when you're running a music venue or when you're a promoter, uh, those, um, I guess... Th- those roles can be at odds on mm-hmm. the surface until you actually know what the business is about. Then you realize that we're all actually in the same boat, but they seem like they're at odds. So how uh, has your experience being 
uh, on the performance side, on the production side, inform your ability to be a venue owner? Um, I mean, I don't know how I could could do it without it, I guess. Um, I kind of use those experiences as the whole thing, really. You know, the reason I know how a venue worked was because of dealing with people who own venues as a promoter and as an artist. Right. And all I'm doing is reciprocating the same deal, but on the other side. You know, right. and I've, I've done it a thousand times already. Right. So I know how it's supposed to go down, I guess. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean... It has helped, and I would say from being a musician that toured and played a bunch of empty rooms and stuff, I am more apt and willing to do shows with original projects, like you mentioned, and stuff. And because I saw, you know, it happened with my bands that what you re- when you really get something back in a scene or as a venue owner or something is when you kind of invest in these artists and stuff, you know, giving them the sh- not the one shot, but the the continuous shots to build up their thing and putting them on better shows. And right. then eventually you have their show and it's selling tons of tickets, you know, right, but it's, right. it's the long game. And I think that's where a lot of promoters and venue owners and even musicians like fall off. This is never thinking about the long game. They get frustrated when, you know, one thing isn't going their way, but it's, it's a, it's a, all it's all a continuous flow and long game thing you know that's interesting perspective with, with artists about that. you know investing in artists investing in the community and the scene that all has to be good and thriving for any of its work right you know, for right. people to be excited to see music for there to be places to see music for those places to be successful for new things to happen in music you have to have these this hive mind of people all participating with each other you know fueling each other in order for, you know, the next thing to break. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, I, I can just, like, a giant community is just going to make everybody more rich. Like, yeah. at least rich with success. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and brings more awareness to what's going on in the local scene. You know, yeah. it's like. It's a snowball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's you, a. a, a some, yeah, you, sorry. You kinda, I was going to say, you kind of lose that in business. Oh, yeah. And so, like, I think I'm, I'm, I benefit from the fact that I've. I played the other roles before because if I was just thinking about the business of a music venue, a lot of the decisions that should be made to create this hive mind scene are, don't align with the decisions you need to make to have a successful business on paper. At least not in the short term. You short know, term, if you, th- right. if you think about the long game for your business, it's actually a better business model, what you're talking about. Right. You know, so, I mean, it, there's, like, to me, part of, uh, it's important. Like, like what you're talking about is super important for everybody to understand. And I think that that's even the perspective that I didn't really get playing the long game like that and building those relationships is uh, when you're like, I've only been a musician and then also through putting on our shows, been a promoter. So I get the promoter side of it, but not really fully because I've never just promoted my, like, like a show that I wasn't involved in, you know? Right, so right. like I've never, I never thought about, the like bands having that kind of leverage and it's not even leverage in a bad way it's leverage in a scenario where it's like yeah actually venues and promoters have something to gain by playing the long game with you so For it's sure. like i've never used you, you, that's an interesting yeah, perspective I mean, that's pretty cool yeah i mean and I, I got to watch it with the bands i played in you know I, for instance, I mean, someone I've been working with and still work with today, he promotes shows at Archetype, is uh, Mike Sarah. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, he's on the Imperial. He's a, I mean, he's the best homie. But, um, a lot of metal shows, right? 
Yeah, a lot of metal shows, a lot of hardcore shows. Like but when I was a yeah, you know, when I was a kid, yeah. he took some chances on me as uh, in our band, and you know the first shows were all right, and then he put us on shows with bigger bands and you know, playing direct support for bigger bands, and then um, eventually we were you know he was able to just put us as the show and still get the same amount of people out. And that was the long game, you know, and that back then in that, especially that club, the Imperial and that scene, I mean, that was other than like the jam band scene first, you know, a period of time in Jacksonville was the only time I've really seen a thriving scene. Like we're talking about right? something that it all works for, for everyone in it. You know, the venues, it's working for the venues, it's working for the bands, it's working for the people showing up. Right. And it's because everyone is not thinking about it in a sense of just, you know, I mean, if you didn't, if you showed up to the door and didn't have money, you still got in the show. Right. And it wasn't like that. It wasn't about just selling tickets. It was about creating something. Right. Yeah. You know, and that's what we're trying to do again. I kind of feel it like the, obviously the coronavirus kind of put a damper on it, but at the same time, like Jason's doing everything. Yeah. I'm yeah. For, and then you with Archetype and, uh, I, I, and, I feel, and man, it's come back. And I, I think, I think en- enough, <laughs> en- enough credit. That, like there, there's not enough credit that be that, that can be given to Tim Hall. Either. Oh yeah, Tim that, Hall, yeah, for sure. That point. that dude is honestly, and I never, I never understood it until literally you just said what you said about the long game. Until right now, but that dude puts us on all, all kinds of shows. I'm just like, you've never made money off of our band before. Yeah, but yeah. you know, but he, <laughs> no but, one has. He, but you know, I, I still talked it. But you know. <laughs> Him and I, him and I. That's not true. But okay, uh, uh, him and I still talk from time to time, and you know he asks us how we're doing and and, and the yeah. new album and all that stuff that we're working on. And uh, I get it. You know, it's like yeah, yeah there's yeah. a long game. Like 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 you see that there's a potential to to make money down the line, not just make money down the line, but also that there's there's an asset in in in, in the scene. Mm-hmm. And like, why not, you know, cultivate that relationship, you know, yeah. for sure. I mean, and Tim, yeah, Tim has always been that way. Definitely. I mean, he he's, takes chances on a, a lot of bands and I've, and he's seen some bands, you know, turn around to um, successfully, you know, from having done it. I've, I've oh, watched yeah. him, you know, build bands in the scene with ha- really gaining nothing off of them other than the fact that they're playing the venue. Right. And, um, but he cares. He cares about the scene. He cares about everything we've been talking about. Have um, you have you heard his story with, about Eddie Vedder? No. He was on. Uh, do you know Nico Costas from Real Time Management yeah, yeah. and Manage Honeyhounds and those mm-hmm. guys? So he was on. He was on that. On that, they, they were doing a podcast for a little while, and and Tim was on there, and Tim was talking about when he lived in San Diego, and, and this is before uh, Pearl Jam had really broken, uh, like broken out, um, and I guess he was managing a small venue maybe like a hundred, 200 caps, something like that. And they, the management reached out to them and said they wanted to book the venue. And then, uh, they released a single that came out on the radio. So the ma- so the management reached back, uh, reaches back out to Tim and says, Hey, uh, now that we're getting some venue. success, we need, <laughs> we, 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 we want the theater. Uh-huh. And Tim was like, okay, are you sure that you want that? And the management was like, yes. He's like, have you talked to the band about this? And they said, yes. So Tim goes back to uh, calls Eddie Vedder personally and say, "Hey man, I just want to let you know this is what your management's trying to do. Are you okay with this?" And he's like, "He's like, I don't know. Like, 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 like what's what? Like, what should we do?" So Tim was like, "Look at, 
I, I know that you can that, that you can probably sell a decent amount of tickets to the theater, but if you play this venue here, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a sold out show in San Diego. Yeah. So sometimes it's better to leave money on the table uh-huh. so you get that sold out show on your record rather than playing to a half empty theater. Definitely. You know, and yeah. I thought that was like holy shit, that's like the greatest advice I've ever heard. Yeah. Like you know, again, as a musician, you don't think about that. Like all of a sudden, you get this break, and you're like, we can make some real money. We can we can play at a theater. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and then you're not, you're not thinking about the value of a sold out show in a market. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, it's, that's definitely a huge factor. Yeah. Um, and if, if you sell out the whole tour, I mean, it's, again, it's long game. Yeah. It's a long game. <laughs> you know, the whole thing is the long game. Having a guy with that, I guess my point being like having a guy like that in our scene is a tremendous value. Oh, like yeah. he, he mm-hmm. gets it, you know? Yeah, for sure. And, uh, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I got, I'm really passionate about trying to grow like for 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 cities that aren't at those bigger levels uh to grow those scenes into industries you know yeah. like yeah. potential here there's a lot of talent there's people that that want to do big things and uh, i think if everybody keeps like you know working together and, and plays that long game that you're talking about that we can actually grow a small scene supportive scene but small scene into a big industry you know yeah for sure definitely yeah and that's that's kind of where my head at head is at and i'm, I'm stoked about you know, our room is fairly small, you know, capping out at 200, 250, depending on the show and what, what kind of audience it is. But, um, but you know, the small shows play a big role in what we're talking about doing. Right. Um, it's not just taking the larger touring bands of course. in their room. It's about building, you know, the scene, the, the scene from the ground up in terms of local musicians and new promoters and, and stuff like that, which, which I think, you know, you get the most out of your investment by investing at that level. Yes. You know, as, as far as, you know, with, with everything. A hundred percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what, that, that creates a foundation for everything else to kind of lay on top of, you know? Yeah, for sure. It'd be pretty wild if you were like, yeah, I've got uh, money now. I'm going to just buy Madison Square Garden and then have literally no like background. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. See, exactly. Yeah, it seems like, yeah, uh, I, I've, I've watched and I've known you for a very long time. I don't want to say a very long time, but shit, it's been like a 10 bit, years. It's been about 10 yeah, years. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But, but it's just like, yeah, it's just been uh, just a steady increase. It's never been like, a, like, ah, oh, well, damn, this is done. I'm over. It's like, no, you just kept going. Yeah. That's I mean, awesome, I've been, I've been lucky with it. Honestly, it's, um, I've been lucky to be able to be surrounded by music yeah. and even taking the backseat. You know, when I was young, I thought it was be the artist or end all, you know, but that wasn't it at all. Um, through touring with like the festival circuit and I mean, all, all aspects of it, I'm constantly surrounded by music, which, you know, things I, I'm passionate about is what I do for work, which helps out. And I'm, you know, I feel truly lucky f- for being in that situation. And, uh, I guess it seems more natural that, you know, the, the various, you know, steps up or, you know, pivots to other s- situations and stuff. But, um, but it's always been on an incline, I think. For you. <laughs> yeah. That's the way you well, got to do it. I like that advice. It's slow and steady. Until and don't get March so, 15th. Well, that, <laughs> March 15th is our last show. Too. Yeah, yeah. The Ides of March. Yep. Yeah. I feel like that's a Shakespeare somewhere. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had we had a, what would have been sold out show at Archetype that, that day, the 15th. Um, we would have had, I think, maybe a sold-out weekend yeah. that last weekend, but um, when did you buy uh, or when did you start Archetype? Um, so came in like soft came in in like um, probably a year ago in August really? or September. Oh, yeah, I was like, um, in, in my mind, it's still like you know, 
March. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, March. Like, yeah, nothing's. So yeah, like yet. last August to September, and I had a month and a half long tour run. You know, like it got mentioned to me that it was a possibility. With the sad songs? No, with oh, uh, an archetype. Uh, no, bef- so I had a so in September. Sorry, so in September, <laughs> I think August or September of last year, um, got approached uh, about the situation that you know there was an opportunity to come in and uh, take over the venue. And I was like, all right, let's, yeah, I'll do it. Let's do it. You know, kind of got a s- small, like, group of people together to kind of help facilitate it. Because I was about to leave for a month and a half on a tour run with Danny Wimmer Presents, which is oh. uh, the, the company that throws Rockville. Yeah. yeah. But we had four other festivals, uh, three that were in Kentucky and then one in um, Sacramento, California. Wow. So I kind of said yes and then left for a month and a half. And then, um, and it was, it was kind of wild. So I wasn't there, and it was there was stuff with licensing, all this stuff going on. Yeah, that is crazy. I'm gonna buy this <laughs> and then peace out for like a, yeah. A and then um, got back and it continued as Nighthawks and kind of learned how the place functioned mm-hmm. in the sense of you know like the, the lights and like oh you know just I didn't know anything about it you yeah. know I just kind of said yes real fast and then um and then once we got a, once I got a you know grip on the actual spot and you know the promoters that were already working on the calendar and started switching the calendar over and figure out what we were going to continue to do and what we weren't going to do so delayed actually changing the name and kicking off archetype till january of 2020 okay which um we had we had the entire all of 2020 booked you know a bunch of six stuff all did. <laughs> yeah. yeah and wow. um and you know the first three months were pretty crazy yeah. on, on like the success rate of the individual shows and the different promoters and all the stuff come see you. i just moved over here at March. yeah <laughs> it's so ridiculous yeah that last show we had was um a dude who goes by bill murray or it's a band. yeah i saw bill that murray, b-i-l-m-u-r-i he used to play an attack attack um an emo band mm-hmm. you know screamo yeah, band but um that was just an incredible show it's it really good so what what uh what was what was the calendar looking like? What kind of like genres of music was it, or was it? Um, so things I can say were things that were announced. Other things are not bands in general. Yeah, know, yeah. Just like I mean, well, it was all it's all over the place. Really? Um, so it wasn't just like a specific type of. Uh, no, no, music? that was kind of. I mean, I I have I've participated in a lot of different genres of music mm-hmm. throughout all the different roles I've played, but um, but as a listener, I enjoy everything. Of course. And so like having the venue. You know, I was excited about the fact that we were going to book, you know, the opening weekend, the, uh, the, f- the first night was Astronomar or no, the first night was Dikembe, which is a, uh, like a emo indie band from Gainesville. They have a big following. It was, I think maybe like 30 people shy of selling out. Nice. And wow. The second night was Astronomar, who's a techno uh, DJ producer from Alaska who's now based out of LA Crazy. and um, that was our actual kickoff party because um, it was more of a party night with the DJ and that was uh, you know super successful and then the Sunday we did bluegrass brunch which uh, we had so our, it is all over the place yeah, I'm yeah. happy I was, a little, I was yeah. a little I was like oh is this going to be like all metal or all something no no, no. I mean we had awesome. so a music venue for everything yeah I mean Great. I mean the week the week that everything got cancelled mm-hmm. on the schedule that coming week the first shows that got canceled the um uh who was it okay so sicaria sound which is um a dubstep producer duo from um from the uk um they uh they actually got here 
oh, to Colorado, man. and then the tour got canceled. Fuck. So they were they were here in did the United States. Stuck? No, they didn't get stuck. Oh, I think yeah, they anyways. did like one show, but um, that was going to be on St. Patrick's Day, and then I think the next day was aborted. It was a pretty big metal band. Yeah, um, I was about to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were playing. I mean, they're they the venue is way smaller than the venues they play, which we were super excited about. Yeah. But um. And then I think we had Michael Menard booked uh, for the that. next week. And then um, we had we had some other stuff uh, or for that weekend. I can't remember what else. I know um, we had holds for Jason Hahn of String Cheese Incident. We had, wow. um, I mean, a bunch of uh, bunch of exciting stuff. I was I was bummed about a lot of shows. Okay, I can't really mention them because they're going to come up. Again, I That's don't want to. No, yeah, yeah. You know, no, I was, I was just yeah. wondering. We, uh, but, later, later, you can tell me. But yeah, maybe you can. The or goal, the goal with this room is we're shooting for the underplay all the time. So it was kind of the idea behind the amount of production we put into, and the amount of space we cleared out. So, uh, so we took out all the arcade games, took out the pool table, took cleared all the storage closet out so we could build a dressing room. Nice. Um, put in a you know a PA and lighting rig that. Sh- you know, t- technically could be in a venue five times the size, but with, with an industry, the industry standard console, everything set up for a big band to be comfortable coming into a 200 cap room. That's awesome. And so, um, you know, the goal, I mean, and, and I, like I said, I am like a gear nerd too. So it's kind of what I like to do anyways, oh, is know, build stuff like that. Great, but, um, man. everything you said so far, I'm just like, awesome, <laughs> but awesome, yeah, keep going, yes. but yeah, we're, we're, we're shooting for bands like that, that aborted package, you know, the tour package, like that, I mean that could easily have been in a five six hundred person room, yeah. But we have the ability to accommodate bands that size, based off the production we placed. And it was important to get the dressing room, to get enough room, an adequate space for merchandise on packages that big. So um, that was the idea behind clearing all the game, the video games, and all that stuff out of there. How much space for for uh, for a package like that? How much space? How many heads do you have to eat, basically, in order to get a merch rig like that in there? Um, well, we have we have designated space now for the merch. So okay. now it sits back where the bathrooms are. Okay. Before, it used to be on the pool table, the pool which table, is right yeah. in now space we've allocated for actual concert viewers. I mean, the viewers or the people listening don't that aren't familiar with the setup of the room, it's basically, you know, the place is separated into three little areas. Right, One right, is in right. front of the stage. Yeah. One is off to the side of the stage, which still view, which you can still view from, and the other area is just a big room that was filled with arcade games next to the bathroom. And you turned that. So into that's the, the merch room? now and the dressing oh, room. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so that's merchandise and dressing room. Nice, man. And so, um, you saw the patio and everything in the back too. Patio is still there, and, and larger tour packages put some merch, you know, some of the uh, supporting acts on the patio, and the, the headliner and direct support will be inside. Awesome. Um, but yeah, we've got tons of space for the merch. But yeah, I mean, it had. You know, had those games still been there, it's 50 tickets, you know, Whoa. for merch space. Yeah. Jeez. That's why I said 200 to 250, depending on the type of show. You know, if it's a metal show yeah. or a hardcore show and there's, you know, people hardcore dancing or a mosh pit, Would that you? eats up a lot of stage floor. Yeah, that's So you don't want to have those extra bodies in there when... You know, it kind of pushes so people into the walls. What did you do walls. with the Golden Eye pinball machine? Then? So it, it wasn't it wasn't ours. It was <laughs> oh, a man. it was a rent. It, yeah, it was a company that placed them in yeah, there, and I you know, figured. I was just wondering. So yeah, that was funny. there, there's there, there is a uh, an element of of overselling a show though that can work too sometimes, right? When you when you factor in people leaving or circling in and out, just cigarette, yeah. cigarette breaks and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. 
how 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 far do you do from a promoter standpoint? How far do you guys like to push that? Um, I now I don't <laughs> because I'm because you know the fire marshal walks in. I'm the one I got to talk to. Oh, really? As a promoter back in the day, <laughs> I would wait until the someone came and told me to stop letting people in. Okay, know? so you'd be overselling yeah, 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 matter. Yeah, your head honcho. You know, nice. I mean, yeah, that makes yeah. Sense. I mean, back back at when we were at TSI, you know, I would wait for Jason or Ryan to be like, dude, you got to hold the door. <laughs> there's some there's still a line and stuff, but you know, it's me. And then there are people coming in and out and smoking, but uh, but if everyone wants to see the headliner, there's got to be enough space, yeah, to safely put those people there. Sure, yeah. for sure. And um, and that's why I said we take consideration based on the kind of show, because mm-hmm. you know, for one show like like a jam band or a DJ, for instance, people are going to be outside smoking cigarettes and hanging out, more like a party atmosphere, right? Because you know, there's multiple sets of the band and stuff. But for you know a show like like the aborted show that Mikey had that we we're talking about like that show you there's no way you were trying to oversell it because everyone's going to be right yep. there in the middle of a, a kind of high energy crowd to see the show they're not there to hang out no nope. yeah, they're there to, to exactly see that artist yeah and then immediately leave possibly yeah well metal, so, metal, metal yeah yeah i i've 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 actually noticed uh not a trend I, this has kind of been a re, like like a thing that happens in that scene but there's like this whole and you i'm sure you're aware of it but there's there's this entire sect of of the hardcore metal scene where it's like the, the straight edge kind of oh, shit yeah yeah for what sure. do you guys do in that scenario we sell sell coca-colas <laughs> um at six dollars a pop yeah well, i mean it's it, you have to be pissed at a promoter that brings that kind of shit to you yeah <laughs> it, it, it's, it's it, again it's the it's the long game thing too. yeah you know it's um you can't be mad that someone comes in and doesn't drink even though of course you're not we're not making money off the door if it's an outside promoter we're just making money off the the bar and the same thing with underage you know there's, there's yeah, no benefit for us really to a lot be an all-ages show yeah but you're so we talked about this earlier we talked about it in regards to musicians but in regards to listeners and concert goers it pays to invest sure in the longevity of them showing up to concerts so it's if you numbers, if you let yeah. You know, a 17-year-old kid come in to see a show, and we have all these shows that are safe and appropriate, and it's, you know, it's the, the band is almost geared towards, you know, anywhere from 17 years old to 25 years old, and half the audience is under 21 and doesn't drink. But if they have a good experience, it's only three years till they're turning 21. Yeah. If they make a, a routine of showing up to shows and showing up to your venue, yeah, then... Time. You know, the more people that do that, the more people will be there when they're 21. Yes, you know, that makes, and drinking. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, it's just science. Man. Yeah, it's just <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. There's a there's a there, there's like an analogy that I just thought of right now. It's like it's like you have your like your local scene uh, and people showing up to shows, which creates a foundation, and then you have the image that that that, that creates, which creates your infrastructure which brings people into your scene, which creates the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, so if we can build it from, from that perspective, then, you know, it's like build it, they, they'll come, you know? Yeah. And, and I just watched Field of Dreams last night. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> I, uh, I started going to shows when I was 14. Yeah. Exactly. There was, there was seven years before, you know, a bar was going to make money off of me of being attended. That's true. Cause but I was people, going to Jackrabbit when I was 14 years old yeah. like, or Freebird or anything like that. And I'm like, just felt so scary but it, it was important. I mean, yeah. I've, I mean, 
I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now had that like, they not yeah, been as yeah yeah it, it it's important to, to have young kids out and get excited and you know and become part of because that, I mean you know that's why I started playing music you archetype know? is <laughs> for the children <laughs> <laughs> just like just like for the <laughs> You know, um, we, we like the, t- the 21 and up shows, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's the money maker. You got to keep the dream alive no, you know, somehow. Yeah. We get, we get Barney and friends. Uh, <laughs> bring that shit back. This would be nostalgia for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, now, I mean, with everything going on, yeah. Um, I mean, it's we're trying to figure out ways to do everything differently. Sure. Um, so, I mean, you mentioned not, you know, Barney and friends, but not Barney and friends, but, um, we're talking about doing, you know, buying rights to show movies or TV shows. Mm -hmm. And we, we just, we have have a a food cart coming in next week. Um, our buddy Trey Dupree, I don't know if you know Trey from out at Swanee. He's a caterer. So he's, uh, he's helping us out and, um, you know, uh, we're getting a food cart from him to put in the back of archetype. We're going to build a little overhang and, and kind of, you know, it's a mobile cart, but, Mm -hmm. um, but get it set up to where we, have food on the menu You're uh, and yeah, actual food back not we're not trying to hot dogs and peanuts. i mean it, <laughs> no yeah no one i mean skittles yeah yeah i mean it's food. no no offense to anyone who's just selling you know microwavable food or anything because yeah I mean, you have to open your business but um a lot of those are bars too yeah um and we our our whole business model was never to function as a bar it was function as concerts yeah right. um and we don't have you know people don't just we don't have liquor so people don't just show up to drink and so there was there wasn't a super amount of urgency to do something a quick fix like microwave food to open. Yeah. Because we still can't hold concerts. Yeah, exactly. So um so we we figured we'd create a quality menu. We're gonna launch the branding. It's gonna have unique branding, and I mean wait I'm gonna wait to explain the type of food and menu items until it actually and launches. Was, but uh, that's what, that's what uh, 1904 did with splits and everything mm-hmm. like that. It just went to the next level and it's just another moneymaker. Yeah. And this, it's a means to open, but also, you know, to open responsibly to where we can offer something that necessarily isn't necessarily just a concert. We can offer good food, yeah. a concert, you know, seated service. Seated service. Yep. I, I yeah. see it. Yeah. I, I know what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You know, dinner and a show yep. and you, you can't, do dinner and a show with microwavable food. No, it's right. got to be quality. You haven't had a, a a show back yet, I guess not. We had um, two weeks where we were allowed to open. Yeah, and um, this is before the spike and all the new cases. Yeah, and um, we were the only people pushing the temperature check, and the masks weren't required. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So we we required a mask. We required temperature check at the door. Good. And um, people gave a shit initially. But um, we were able to successfully carry out, I think, three or four or four or five events in that two week period without any, you know, actual cases coming up. And it, it happened to have been right in. I mean, it's, we're still in the middle of it, but um, it was in the middle of the initial part of the George Floyd riots. Yeah. And um, and so we felt like it was important that, you know, opening back up, we we used the space to amplify that so we um we did a few events uh we had a juneteenth event that bb deluxe put on um it was a um a drag show with all black women and um it was amazing and uh we we sold we sold uh 50 capacity after we took off staff and artists so we we're selling about 
50 tickets, I guess. Um, 50, 60 tickets after this all that. something, you know? Yeah, yeah. It was good. Um, and then we did a, uh, a spoken word night, and we did a after party. Um, wasn't really, it was more like a decompression party after w- one of the big protests. Yeah. And then other than that, I think Vlad and I DJed one night. And, uh, I think that's what I remember, yeah. Yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, that was, that was the only things we did before it closed back down again. And, um, and we felt like maybe because we were operating safely and we were kind of the only ones, once they said you can open back up, everyone just opened back up like things were normal. But um, I, it was kind of a surprise when they shut it back down on our end because we had, you know, we've been so cautious. And then just to hear that other places – we're just operating like normal, and that's why we're shutting down. It was kind of frustrating, but um, sure, yeah. but uh, but now everyone that's opened is you know temperature checks, masks, they got food. It's a bunch of hoops, but um, we're trying to not jump right back into it, ease into it, do it the right way with quality. And yeah, I mean, Set the standard. I, yeah, there was. A, I mean, I I had my sister's wedding. My parents are both, you know, vulnerable part of the vulnerable population on it. Um. And it, I, I didn't want to have to uh, have to deal with that. And, and no one no one wanted to. I mean, it, I don't know. It's hard to speak on what other businesses did. But uh, but you can't really blame them either. They were shut down you three and a half months. <laughs> no, I mean, it was going to happen either way. Yeah, definitely. And, was, I mean, yeah. I think I feel like bars are still just getting, you know, are being sacrificed in lieu of everything going on because, yeah. you know, there's a safe way to do it. Yeah. And it doesn't change whether you microwave pizza rolls or not. Right. You know, it's, yeah, 100%. it's not, not, that's not the now difference. And I, I can understand why, <laughs> why, you know, it shouldn't be that you have to cook a gourmet food menu to open up, but, um, it should be that there's, you know, actual, a system in place and people, it, it, it should be the, that someone is accountable. That's the thing. Our leaders aren't accountable. No, no one's being held accountable. Are you talking about fearless leader right now? <laughs> no, I'm talking, I'm talking about in general. I'm talking about, our, you know, in terms of local, local, state, and federal government. Yeah. No one's being held accountable for no. what's happening because, I mean, because they're, they're just, they don't, they don't let themselves be held accountable. They don't right? own music venues yeah. or bars, do they? So, um, <laughs> or anything. So it falls, anything. it falls on the, on the business owners and the people to be accountable. Exactly. Yeah. I think people are. Con- Starting to realize it. You That's know? awesome. You stepped up though, and you did all that. The temperature checks. I didn't know that. That's great. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. I felt like it was. A, more, you had to do more it. More and more respect from you, or for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> from me too. Started, I'm just like. But um. Connor's all right. Like, yeah. <laughs> I already knew he's good, but. <laughs> I appreciate that, right. man. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. Um, moving forward. I mean, I I like challenges. I think um, the music scene in general could benefit from learning to pivot a bit yeah you know? yes um, i mean like yeah i mean look at this stuff yeah you know, everyone rushed to figure out how to do video and yeah. guess what everyone's content's oh, gonna yeah. be way better for yeah. sure you know it's everyone true. rushed to to figure out how to do you know tons of stuff innovative innovatively and i think once everything gets moving all these new skills and and you know uh, just uh, uh i guess the confidence that gets built out of going through hardship and like, you know, creativity, yeah. Yeah, creativity. I think, I think we'll see the music scene in general around the world kind of, you know, 
to level up, whether it's in creativeness, cre creativity or in the artistic side or innovation on the industry side. You know, I mean, it was kind of fucked for everyone besides the live music part of it. Yeah. You know? no, I mean, I think, I think uh, the music industry could benefit with some, some like pivoting due to hardship and new acquired we're, skills. We're it sucks though. We see a major redistribution of where the industry lies now. You know, it's not going to be just LA, New York, and Nashville. It's going to be like now everyone's got like a, you know, I know what, like now I'm investing in, in a small little setup for myself to be able to record remotely. And I've been mm -hmm. working, I've been working on collaborations with friends of mine around like all over the country and uh, just trying to stay creative like that. And I think that most people are doing that. And I think with that, we're going to see a lot more things uh, uh, creatively come out of that. And I think that um, we're going to real uh, people are going to realize like okay, and people are fleeing the the bigger cities now in huge numbers because we've realized okay, well, this is not a safe place to be if something mm -hmm. like does uh, something like that if something like this does happen. So uh, we're going to start to see like a like the surgence of creativity coming from these marginalized cities. You know? Yeah, for sure. And I think we're going to see you know, the ball kind of go back to a, you know, before we, before we went into this, large scale music festivals were the running the whole industry. You know? yeah. That's what every artist revolved their tour around. Right. You know, and as someone that's worked in the, mu the music festival industry for a while and, you know, gained a lot of my income off of it, it does suck that it's going to be gone for a little bit, but I think we're going to see these small rooms accommodate larger bands we're going to see opportunities for bands on the up and come up and coming bands to build themselves because the pace has kind of slowed down you know yeah. it's like it's like you you can build stuff in smaller rooms without having to ex, like be expected to sell the room out right you know because you only have to sell 50 tickets at the limited capacity and, and you're selling out the shows. yeah but <laughs> but it, it's it'll be more fine-tuned with attention exactly the people there are the right people you know exactly it's, and you can kind of i, I think we're going to see a lot of cool stuff happen because of the situation we're forced to be in for sure you know and i think there's going to be a lot uh stronger community because it's like for sure uh, before it seemed like it was always not like cutthroat or anything it's real close to it but it's very competitive mm -hmm. you don't you think it was you don't think it was all I'm trying to say is this: is it was, it was, it was more of uh, uh, what can I gain from the other person than it yeah, was like, sure. hey, let's all be in this together. You really disagree. Your, okay, I disagree 100. percent I one. think the Jacksonville scene is an amazing, uh, support, an amazingly supportive scene. Oh, I'm not uh, just saying Jacksonville. I'm saying, saying like the whole country. Oh, general, the whole country. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, that's what you're saying. God, yeah. God forbid. You can't just let me have one. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I misunderstood. My bad. Yeah, the Jacksonville scene, scene is pretty supportive. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. Definitely. I mean, musicians are supportive of other musicians. There's, there's a lot that could be improved on. Sure. Outside of the direct musician network. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, but, um, more people yeah, care about it. Yeah, pretty supportive. But the industry is cutthroat, like Bill yeah. was saying. 100%. Thanks, Colin. Yeah. You know, it's, it's <laughs> no, whatever, whatever festival wants, is willing to pay the most gets will get the artist. Yep. If not... And then it just drops... You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of levels to it. Yeah, a lot. But yeah. that's, you know... I think we're going to see at least a big pause, if not a complete step in a different direction in terms of like successful functionality in the music industry. For sure. Um, and there's, I mean, it sucks that a lot of jobs and everything are at stake with it, but, um, but a lot, most of the people are creatives. I think 
pivoting is something that may come more naturally to this industry than totally. other ones. So, and, and it's always kind of been hard knocks, man. You know, like, yeah, this is just, this is just another <laughs> yeah, fucking yeah. obstacle on the road, uh-huh. man. That's all it is. It's another yeah, bump it's, in the road. Yeah, it's another blowout of a uh, tour bus. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I think the 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 power is kind of going to be going to be coming back to the bottom billers. You know, there's a that's where we're at. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a, a. Are you familiar with Andrew Schultz, a comedian? Um, I'm not. No, he's very funny, but okay. he uh, he's this comedian based out of New York, and. Uh, over the last year has been building his own podcast studio and uh you know investing in the right equipment and now you see his clips on instagram and he is you know he's the best one out there he's he's doing it the best out of anyone right now nice um so he was on on rogan's podcast recently and they were and he was like man i'm watching uh guys at jimmy kimmel and jimmy fallon have to do these low 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 production things from their home now because you know they don't have the studios they don't have the 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 audience and he's like he's like oh this is a fucking home game it's like Uh you guys are my fucking design i've been out here having to build my shit from nothing competing (laughs) with you motherfuckers and all of a sudden you're my fucking court yeah (laughs) it's like and he's and he's 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 making them look like amateurs nothing not to take away from jimmy fallon jimmy kimmel's grind and their hustle but they were you know they they exist in the elite realm of the industry and there's a lot of money and gear and people working for them that that their show is good as it is exactly not to their fault but that's that's, that's what it is. What goes into and they, it. they earned it, right? But yeah. at the end of the day, it's like, okay, well, well, and you'll be okay if, if things are like not working in your favor right now. And he's just, Andrew, Andrew Schultz is just basically saying, like, now I'm finally able to compete. Now it's right. like you're now it's like it, there's not this inequity anymore in production or anything. Yeah. Now it's actually like, I look better and you're gonna be okay. And now mm-hmm. I have a chance to finally like succeed. Yeah. So it's like I don't know. I think that's what's gonna be happening a lot in, in the entertainment industry. There's a little bit that he's like your well, your kind of point is like he's taking it off. Of he's, other a comedian. <laughs> he's, he's a comedian. He's a comedian. He's a comedian. So, yeah, so obviously there's there's that aspect is. of it. Yeah. But and but also in reality, like they're gonna be okay, like they're fine. Yeah. And also, like it, it also does reveal the cheesiness and the 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 un, I guess like the the, the lack of like a uh, real like just I don't know uh, organicness that, uh, of what those actually are. When you strip away the production, the yeah. lights, the audience, it all becomes very like. Oh, this isn't really that good. It's like watching Friends without a laughing track. It's like watching right, Friends. Right. Period. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> for sure. And I think we're, I think, like you said, we're going to see the same type of thing and with music and stuff, you know, a lot of playing field being leveled. Um, unf- I mean, the most unfortunate part about it, and I mean, we're still kind of discussing it on, in terms of artists and musicians and people in that side of it. But I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of the people, you know, working behind the scenes at the Jimmy Kimmel show. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That's, that's the unfortunate part about it. Yeah. The positive part is we're gonna see, you know, uh, things start to happen in places you wouldn't normally, and and people start to, you know, get known because of the play, playing field being leveled. Right. On in in some to some extent, you know. For sure. For sure. For sure. It's a, uh, it's it's a weird time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what I was gonna say too. Um, we should get to unpopular opinions. Kind of, kind of anybody's game right now. Yeah, yeah. at this point, we're all on the same level. Like, mm-hmm. I could be famous. Yeah, yeah, I mean the the what we don't want to see happen probably not is <laughs> this to go on the way it is yeah. for uh, 
for you know any extended period of time yeah because what could happen and be detrimental for the whole thing is that we're gonna see a lot of these independent small music industry people and businesses and stuff be forced to to completely pivot yeah. and give up what they're doing and you're gonna see a monopoly an even larger monopoly oh. of of large companies yeah. running everything. Do you think this is a conspiracy for Jeff Bezos to make more money? Okay. I mean, it's not not a conspiracy for Jeff Bezos <laughs> to make more He's money. Start <laughs> Amazon Recording Studios, and then it's just like every band signed up with them. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyways, uh, uh, government, if you don't want us to work, pay us for our time so we can at least be creative. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. and get to unpopular opinions. <laughs> Everyone, check out Neva. Um, yeah. yeah, National Independent Venue Association. Okay. They're um, they're working really hard to get uh, figure out a way to get grant money and all this stuff to music industry specific, um, because it's the first industry that shut down. Yeah. It's gonna be the last to open, yeah. Yeah. and you have you know thousands and thousands of venues and companies that are on the verge of closing, and um, they're having some success in Congress and stuff. But just to note before we move on, yes, for check sure. out Neva. And um and do what you can to help out. N-E-V-A. Share the, share their stuff. And also N I V A. And sorry, N I V A. And also save our stages and all that. That, that as is well. that is oh, that's them. Okay. That is Neva. Okay. That's oh, their that's, that's their right. initiative. Is save our gotcha. stages. Who was okay. it that was telling us? Was it Vlad that was talking about save our stages? No, Eric Eric Kaufman was talking yeah, yeah. about that. Yeah. Our friends up in Asheville, Andrew mm, Scotch and River Rats right. are are working very hard uh, mm. with yeah. them to try and get their name out there. We have a lot. I mean, every yeah every, yeah save yeah yeah save our stages is the hashtag and the bill. Um, that they're trying to get passed through Congress. I know they're on recess. I don't know, jerking each other off, whatever it is. No, but no, they're on yeah. summer vacation. Whatever it is, yeah. They're just hanging out. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll wait. No. Yep. We're not we're doing anything. <laughs> Anyways, unpopular opinions. Yeah, unpopular well, while opinions. we're doing you can come up with one. Yeah, if you, if you think of one. If you think of one while we're doing one. ours. Okay, you guys do yours, and I'll, I'll try and think. Okay. okay. Hopefully get one before the end. You go first. Am I first? Yeah. Um. Uh, I, I, I don't like fruit and beer. Just give me a beer. Yeah, like the fruit, like the fruity IPAs and stuff. Fruity, fruity anything. I'm not into it either. It's just it's not supposed to taste sweet. It's supposed to taste bitter. I like I like it. You like, you like yeah, it? Yeah. This is why it's in a five opinion. <laughs> I remember when they first came out with sours and everything like that. Oh, I can't stand I'm it. I'm just like what? This isn't. Yeah, this I don't like sours this isn't really. Beer. But I don't know. Or even or even like like the Bud Light limes or like the oh god those the, are the worst the the, the limeritas or whatever yeah or 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 like the IPAs that have like oh you know, grapefruit IPA I love that I'm like, yeah. oh. I want my beer to taste awful yeah like like, <laughs> like just hops just hops just I just want to taste wanna, like hops I want to eat like a handful of hops and w- drink water I agree with and you make on it that. in my mouth yeah I mean I, I like some beer that tastes like bread you know you yeah that's kind of yeah, yeah. 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 we were drinking some german beers the other day over at uh jason grimes's spot have you been there yet Which in five one? points uh, or not five points in um murray hill what's it called it's um gosh i'm drawing a complete blank right now was it was it, is it's it like the german bookner's beer hall yeah, oh yeah i've been there i, I yeah. one of the places uh, and we went to go see amazing uh, beers yeah right her band yeah yeah, yeah. I've, I forgot how much I liked beers that tasted like that until the other day. I was they, like, oh. They're, like, really out there. And it was just yeah, like great the, selection, it, yeah. And the, the inside is really cool. It's sick, yeah. It's, it looks like a real, like, German beer hall. Like, yeah, it's, it's, super cool. Yeah, it's very cool. All very right, so stuff. my uh, first unpopular opinion is I'm not a big fan of sweet tea. 
Where are you from? <laughs> he's from uh, this South Florida. Southern South, place well, South Florida is not really the South either, though. No, it's definitely not. It's not. No. Ugh, yeah, no. Yeah. But still, like, how do you not like sweet tea? You should. You should hear my me trying to do a Southern accent. I didn't hear a Southern accent until I was much older. Yeah. Right, like right. a real one that wasn't on TV. You know what I mean? Tony three oh five doesn't like sweet tea. Who would have thought? Anyways, all right, back to me. Um, uh, I don't understand why Jimmy Buffett is famous. <laughs> I, I'm with you there. I just don't. I don't. Yeah. I don't. Get I guess it. I understand it. I don't understand it. When was he? When was he starting to get popular? It's the '70s, right? I don't even know. Yeah, what I think the late when, '70s. When, yeah. Then how is he still this famous? How the Rolling Stones still is famous? Because they were good. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, here's 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 an idea. That I don't know if it's based in fact at all. Yeah. But in the late '70s, I think it's when he was kind of coming up. Yeah. You had all these people that were hippies. Turning into yuppies that, you know, in, in that stage of their life. And maybe they still like to smoke weed, but also, yeah, I don't know. It's like those doctors and lawyers that were like hippies when they were younger. Mm-hmm. And they got a lot exactly. of money, yeah. like to take their yachts out and smoke some weed. Yep. And put on some Jeep puffs. Like, yeah, I remember those days. But how did he get famous then and why is he famous was he a country now? singer to Margarita. begin with or is that or is that like a new thing in country to like sound like no, that's definitely a new Do thing you i feel any, like, like yeah tropical uh, acoustic guitar what the fuck is that anyways uh, jimmy buffett not a fan yeah okay. i mean i'll tell you one thing though i've had it for a long time my plan d What's in that? life is just to go play acoustic guitar down in the keys oh, okay make Decent money, you do well. sick environment. Money. You'll do well. Sing, sing cover songs. Oh, yeah. I, 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 you probably I, I, have to live uh, pretty far from the island, but you know, yeah. you'll. you'll I mean, I'd make friends with someone who had some property. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like get like. I'm talking about really doing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> going, going down to the keys, really and committing, playing guitar. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to imagine too. You're probably gonna have to play a little Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, okay, so my second unpopular opinion is uh, OJ didn't do it. OJ. Woo. OJ, OJ didn't, didn't do it. Do it. <laughs> do you got to back that up. The glove or? didn't fit, bro. Let's just okay. call it a day. Yeah. Works for me. I'm good. I feel like I don't know. in this climate, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't bring up the OJ Simpson trial, but uh, he did it. Oh, like, yeah, really? I'm just saying. I don't know. I'm not sold. I was a kid. I didn't pay much attention. Did you? Did you? Did you I did, did watch the documentary though. Yeah. He, he did. I mean, uh, <laughs> oh, with Cuba Gooding Jr. or like the the fake documentary. That was, yeah, it was yeah. so bad. Oh my what? god. What? You think that was bad? It was so bad. Right. It was very bad. It was. <laughs> it was like. It, I, was, I thought it was all right. I thought. Yeah. He I took just, a lie detector test and he he, he lied and then he's like there was just like. Chandler from Friends. No, like I didn't do it. It was Ross right, from right. Friends. But I don't yeah. care. That's Ross sucks. from Friends actually. Yeah. Is a sick. Lo-Fi House producer. Really? What? From the UK. Ross from Fun fact of the day. Name is Ross from Friends. Oh, that's the name of a, uh-huh. a DJ. No, not, oh, not, not, okay. not oh. the actual actor. No. The name of the DJ. Had... <laughs> he's on He's on Brain Feeder. It's super tight. Oh, <laughs> wow. I was like, because people always, Ross from Friends. Yeah. And that's what, <laughs> how he has his name. That's pretty funny. sure he got in some legal trouble. They couldn't do anything. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's pretty crazy. Because people referencing Ross from Friends obviously rest, referencing Ross but really sick music I mean kind of experimental house you know it's on Brain Feeder on Brain Feeder Flying Lotus like that label yeah. nice right. check that out um, what's your last one Bill uh, my last one is I don't think that a margarita based economy in Jack's Beach is going to work mm, tied it in with Jimmy Buffett thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I, I, went, I was like at some reunion with my girlfriend on Saturday and I was just like this place, I hate it. I hate it more than anything in the I mean, the it's world. kind of what the beach is now anyways. I know that's what the beach is And it's now. working. The yeah. economy is working. Cool. I just... 
But there's, uh, there's, I mean, there's no, there's not much culture out there. No. So this leads you to my third unpopular opinion is that Margaritaville at the beach actually is okay because, uh, uh, <laughs> no, because I actually used, you took the words out of my mouth oh. earlier today. I was telling Billy, I was like, I was like, bro, what are they losing by having it there? It's not like you're no, sucking you're, culture out of there. The culture is like long gone. Jack's Beach has done well enough on their own to shove the music out of there and to shove the art and out of there. Why not just put a Margaritaville in there and call it a day? Keep Why the people not? working. Maybe if yeah. you're working at a bar, you'd finally afford to live on the beach. You know what I mean? It's All like, I'm saying is start investing in limes today. Yeah. yeah. It's, limes going to go through the, the local room. lime local market. Lime stock, local lime stock. Put your, put your, put your <laughs> money in stock. It's a bull market. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, I mean, I, I, when I DJ for money, when I'm not, when I wasn't doing other things, guess where I DJ? The beach. Hell yeah. Because that's where you make money doing I, things. Money now, if you Ugh. don't get to play anything really tight. Nope. It's pretty cultureless, but yeah. it's a gig, a paying gig. Paying you know? gig. I, I, There's tons of paying gigs at the beach. I'll play at the beach all day. Margaritaville might be it. Oh, too. like you know for sure <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to play it at yeah. some point. So we're going to have to play Margaritaville. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so I will say to Jimmy Buffett and his buffet at Margaritaville, um, I apologize in advance <laughs> uh, for you hiring me because I'm not going to learn any of the songs. I, I, <laughs> I'm totally okay with you being there and we'll totally take a paycheck from you, so yeah, please hire true. us. Yeah, we'll play whatever <laughs> yeah. you want. We're whores at this point. Like, just, just give Do it they constantly play Jimmy Buffett there? God, that's just what I'm trying to say. Like, who wants to live there? And that's all they play is Jimmy Buffett the whole time. Like, I don't think you live there. It's a hotel, right? It's a resort. It's a condominium. Oh, no. it's a condo? Yeah. Oh, you wow. can retire. Oh, yeah. It's going to be on the. It's a, like a. Yeah. You're still, on, you're still not on my own type of Oh, no. I, 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 I kept, still, people I kept talking about I kept fine. just thinking about it being the restaurant, it's but it's not. It's a oh. resort. Type no, you, of thing. you've not it seen was, it yet? Or, uh, been on the beach for a while? I haven't, I haven't gone to the beach like, in a while. It's like seven stories tall. It looks ridiculous already yeah. and it's not even done yet but yeah you can just go buy a condo there and that could just be the way that you or go. May, maybe buy like a like a timeshare because they have yeah, one I down think, south yeah that makes that, more sense that, to me. yeah they have one in hollywood beach and it's a resort it's not a it's not a it's not a condominium how is that your idea of a vacation is or Jimmy like you know rental rental properties yeah exactly yeah. anyways you got an unpopular opinion connor oh, did you think of one? i didn't think of one in the in the meantime That's but right. uh i was engaging in y'all's Sorry. I'm sure I have tons of unpopular opinions. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> we'll save this. Sorry, I should have told you about thinking about one. It's all before. good. Um, well, it's been another episode of Bottom of Bill. Thanks for being with us tonight, Connor. Yeah, thank, it was a blast. Thank you guys for having me. It was fun. Yeah. Gives us a lot of great insight and some cool shit and great stories. So, yeah, appreciate I, it. I appreciate talking with you guys, like always, and, you know, being able to discuss music industry stuff because it's been on pause for fucking six months totally you know nothing nothing's been going on just thinking about it's exciting yeah Yeah, it is is. and i cannot wait to come to archetype and see everything that you've done yeah Yeah, please support them when they're back open anything they got going on it's a great venue we played there many times before it was archetype we did we did nightheart yeah Yeah. it's changed um, a bit no obviously it has i can't wait to see it yeah totally and uh please support us and all of our social media stuff you see right there at the corner uh, and stay updated with everything side hustle and bottom of the bill. And we'll talk. We'll see you guys next week. Adios, muchachos. Later, y'all. Bottom of the bill.